Welcome to Defen episode number 28. This is Vijay from the Netherlands. And it's Ray from Belgium. And it's Max Panev from, well, Switzerland, but in Sweden. Hello, Max. Uh, I thought we were going to introduce you, but anyway. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> you just get the... <laughs> you just popped in. <laughs> That's awesome. That's pretty nice. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's Christmas time, so everything is okay. Is it Christmas or holidays? Uh, I, didn't I think get it we, say, we say anything that will upset Donald. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so happy holidays then. So fuck Christmas. That is going to offend like <laughs> pretty much everybody now. But well, I mean, the, 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 just before, the, uh, before we started recording, uh, Ray, you're talking about Advent of Code. That is holiday thing, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, we can dispense with all the commercial bullshit, uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, we can do the Christmas of Cord, yeah, the Advent of Cord. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Advent of Cord. Yeah. A few of the closure guys are uh, doing it, and this guy, I think you know him. Is it Michael Bork? Yeah, Michiel Borkant. Yeah, him. <laughs> I think yeah. you're uh, you're anglicizing his name. <laughs> Bork dude at Bork dude on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> that's his problem. But there name. are plenty of plenty of people doing this one. Yeah, well, he's made a repository with about you know I don't know twenty thirty people that are doing it. Like, um, and there are various people. Um, yeah, I think Bruce Howman and friend of the show Mike Fikes is doing it as well. Yes, and he's doing yeah. it in uh, he's doing it in bootstrapped closure script. So yep. I think there are, there are people doing it in different kind of forms and different ways, you know. Awesome. But I, I was looking at it and I was thinking it was very interesting because if nothing else, you can learn some tidbits about closure as you go along and compare the styles of people. You know, I get, I, as yep. one example, there was, there was one interest, two, two examples. Okay, two examples. One quick example that I know that Mikhail and Mike were talking about was the difference between nth rest and drop. On, it was on Twitter's and, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. apparently it's a, the drop is lazy and end rest is not. Um, yeah, it's, it's holding onto the head apparently. Yeah. The other thing that I saw in Mikael's code actually was uh, plus prime. You know, where you yeah. say reduce plus prime. It's something yeah. I've seen it in the code before, but I'd never, I'd, I'd sort of ignored it, and I thought, what the hell is this? <laughs> and then I, I finally thought, oh, okay, screw it, I'll look it up. You know, and uh, it's this one where it goes back to pre-collision 1.3 behavior, where it promotes yep. the uh, the numbers to, uh, so that you can have arbitrary precision. Yeah, it's two, two big decimals or big yeah. Uh, integers, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but these are the things that, that you generally don't, don't get to unless you need a specific use case or something. Yeah, but it's interesting as to, you know, why do these guys put this stuff in there, you know? And it, yeah. I don't know, it just to me, it was quite <laughs> kind of interesting to see the code that they're writing and, you know, you can, yeah. I guess you can have a little discussion about that. I don't know if you've done anything like that yourself, Max. Maybe it's coding uh, no, plus prime, uh, it's nothing, I've never heard about it, actually. I was wondering what, uh, what it is. Uh, well, in one of the libraries I authored, there is some, like, unchecked math and stuff, but, uh, I mean... It's just to iterate a bit faster over some data structure. Um, in general, no, I don't use these kind of low-level uh, things, to be honest. Hmm. Hmm, don't think. Yeah, I think no, I anything that just, it, it's just a sort of distraction, isn't it, from the code? You have to have a very good reason to, to use it. Yeah. yeah, usually I start simple, and then if I really have to, I go down to these, uh, 
the gory uh, functions that you never use. Yeah, yeah. The unchecked uh, stuff. And, <laughs> and really, sometimes if I really have to, down to Java, but it's kind of rare these days. Down to Java. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like assembly at this point, Java for us. Uh, right. Yeah. This is this is this is the first time I'm hearing somebody saying down to Java. It's like using Java as an assembly language or something. Yeah, but uh, I mean that's uh, <laughs> I mean that's not uncommon. I've heard that a couple of times in the past from other people uh, doing closure. I can't remember who was saying that, but mm. uh, yeah, it, I mean you get the best performance you could get on the GVM more or less using Java. And uh, I mean from closure, it's kind of rare that you have to uh, to go that low level. I mean, Zach, mm, Zach yeah. Tellman, for instance, has done that a couple of times for primitive math and a couple of things uh, dealing with byte streams and so on. But, I mean, uh, yeah, the vanilla, the, the normal closure user, let's say, if we can say it like this, doesn't yeah. really have to, uh, to go to so low level. Mm. So I think this is a nice time for you to introduce yourself, Max. Yes. <laughs> and then talk about how did you get into closure? Yeah. Um, so what should I start from? From when I started using Clojure, or oh yeah. so I'm Max. I live in uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in Sweden. <laughs> um, so I used to. Well, I'm from Geneva originally. So I moved here like three years ago, and um, and I work for a company that's uh, in Switzerland still. So I work remotely uh, mainly. And um, yeah, so I. It's not really a big. Uh, it's not really a big upgrade, right? I mean, going from Switzerland to no, Sweden. I mean, for me, it's kind of a downgrade in from. Many things. I mean, the weather's not as good, let's say, as the one in Geneva. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not that the yeah. one in Geneva is like tropical and nice, and but yeah, here it's, um, yeah, it's a bit worse. And there's yeah. the light. I mean, me, I'm not super happy about Sweden in general. Uh, let's say living here. So well, don't you get if the skiing is a bit easier there, isn't it? The skiing, yeah, it's a bit uh, flat uh, around yeah. here. <laughs> so I used to bike a lot, for instance. So I was big on like going climb uh, some mountain or some hill in the weekend with my bike, but now I cannot really do that. The best you're going to get is the wind uh, hitting your face really hard uh, on oh, a right. flat uh, section. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. No, other than that, I mean, there's worse place to be, uh, for sure. It's nice for uh, many things. Uh, cannot complain too much. But, uh, mm. yeah. Uh, mean, why, did you, why did you move there then? Come on. I mean, you know, uh, because my, the work of my wife, uh, she works with uh, particle accelerators and uh, there are not many around and Oh, it happens okay. to, I mean, they're building one around here, so we're here for, for as long as it lasts. And is, it the, is it the same same big one that goes under the entire Europe, and then you're going to the other part of that one, or is <laughs> no. it actually a different particle accelerator? I don't think there's one that big. Uh, the one There's one close oh. to Geneva, I mean, uh, well, in Geneva, uh, which is yeah. CERN, so it goes under uh, parts of France, parts of, part of Switzerland, but yeah, yeah. I think it's like 30 kilometers in diameter, if I'm not wrong, yeah, or a bit yeah. less. But uh, okay. that one is a linear one, so it's straight, and so it's a bit uh, different. But they're building it from mm. scratch, so for her, it's super interesting to be here. And I mean, she does research on this stuff, so uh, she gets to put her hand on the, the process from scratch. Instead wow. of just, yeah. So we are here for okay. that. I think we should get her on the podcast at some point. Yes. <laughs> I bet, she, pro I bet she programs in Python, though, or something no, like that. No, she uses awful, she uses awful stuff. Uh, Mostly old code from the uh, Fortran stuff and oh, man. bastard okay. programming languages that came out of even, well, awful stuff. I did use <laughs> some closure for her in the past. I helped her uh, with interop um, through GNI with closure. I mean, yeah, <laughs> wow. another level of yeah. But um, that's true love. That is. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that is, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that's the best I can do to help her. Then it goes to crazy math. I don't even understand or uh, physics stuff. That's like, yeah, way over my head. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that's why you ended up in, in, in Sweden. And then, um, but before getting into the closure stuff, what, what, mm. what were you busy with? Uh, what am I busy with? Yeah, I mean, which which languages that you use? Ah, uh, at work we use Clojure. So um, I mean, mostly Clojure. Um, there is some. We use a bit of Erlang. We did use a bit of Erlang in the past. Well, it's still in use actually, but it's more uh, like running and hasn't been touched in a long time, and it's doing just fine by itself now. But uh, it's mostly Clojure. And what, uh, what about uh, in the past, though, Max, when you first started ah. programming? Oh well, it's been a long time, so. Uh, <laughs> used a bit of everything, uh, to be honest. Um, well, I started very early with, um, well, Amiga stuff, so uh, assembly and all this stuff. And then through university, actually, the first language I was introduced to at university was Java. Java and ah. Emacs together were the... <laughs> <laughs> so it was in like end of the 90s. So Java was not uh, so well developed, let's say. It was a bit of a pain to use. Um, there was mm. no real ID um, like there is today. Um, and then through work, a bit of everything. Uh, it went a um, couple of variants of VB, a lot of Python. And then there were the startup days where I was like hopping from one to the other. And it was, uh, yeah, mostly Python uh, before Clojure, I would say. So what, um, made, you, uh, what made you come to Clojure, ah, Max? What, what yeah, made you uh, fall in love with the parentheses? I was a bit uh, playing with a couple of Lisps. Um, one of them was called, uh, uh, I think it was called Wasp. And it was something mm -hmm. related uh, on security. It was basically allowing you to build distributed system. Uh, um, well, we can call that like this, but it was a bit more oriented around security in general. Mm. And it was like a very experimental thing. And uh, I got hooked. I mean, I just realized that the parentheses thing actually the, the, yeah, the structure of the language was really nice. And from there, I tried common Lisp, and uh, then Clojure came out, and I was, I think it was on Reddit, I discovered about it, and then tried it uh, in the early days, uh, which was, I don't know, I think it was around version 1.1, something like that. So yeah, okay. 2010 probably. Yeah. And uh, well. yeah, so I was using it basically on the evenings after work, and the startup I was working for at the time uh, basically closed down, uh, was not doing so well, didn't get any uh, uh, another round of investment. And I was working on this little toy uh, project on the side in Clojure, and I showed it to one of the, well, the owners of the, the company back then. Mm -hmm. And he used that as a, a buoy, I would say. It was like the mm -hmm. way to, uh, I mean, yeah, we sold that uh, to clients, and from there uh, we created another company. And uh, that company became the one uh, uh, we, I work for now, uh, let's say, after five, uh, five or six years. Then we merged with another company and so on, but that was how it started. Okay. Well, I hope they give you some shares, Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, we are doing okay, but uh, we're not uh, Microsoft big or Google big. <laughs> but which company is this? Uh, it was called Shareware at the past, but now it's called Affinity.ai. Um, but it's the company... It does a couple of products, uh, some of which are a bit more known than others. Uh, one mm -hmm. was um, we merged with a company that used to build uh, paper.li, which was, maybe you know about it. It's this service where yeah, you yeah. can uh, um, basically set up um, 
an environment where you get uh, your, your, new, your own newspaper uh, published every day. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so a bit like a what Prismatic was back in the day. Uh, kind of, sort of, yeah. Uh, it's mm. similar in some way, but it's maybe less um, focused on one thing like Prismatic was. It's a bit uh, more, uh, more broad the scope. And it's just one product. Uh, because right. our side of the company was working on other things. Um, mm. We were um, working on some knowledge center um, kind of product where you ingest tons of data from whatever source you get and you uh, give the tools and the UIs uh, to the people in charge to uh, basically drill down this data and figure out what's what. So some people use that for alerting, some people use that for, um, for other uh, things like conferences to show fancy dashboards with tons of graphs and things moving in real time and these <laughs> kind of things. Okay. So yeah, it was more oriented about uh, I can the uh, this this product uh, specifically, and um, when we merged with the the, um, the development team that's uh, behind Pepperly, uh, we mm -hmm. basically uh, yeah created a couple of new things, and um, so there's a lot of data science now behind the scene. Um, there's a lot mm -hmm. of data aggregation. Um, I don't know if I have a couple of numbers. I miss like. I think we analyze, uh, no, we get uh, half a billion posts uh, per day. And it's wow. like 50, no, yeah, 30 or 50,000 articles that are analyzed per day. Uh, 50, no, millions, not thousands. And uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so when I say analyze, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, uh, entities detection, categorization, mm -hmm. sentiment analysis, and all these kind of things. And um, yeah, all of it is written in Clojure. So, uh, so you're a kind too. of a Clojure version of Google News. Yeah, it's a bit similar in some ways, uh, but I would say we have more. Uh, we focus more on allowing the users to have uh, very precise querying capabilities. We have like mm. our own little programming language that they can use, and they can oh. express very complicated queries and do like uh, custom weighting on a lot of things uh, through sub queries. And so, um, the users that we have, the like private companies that use the thing. Um, Typically, there are people who want to know uh, what their competitors are doing or uh, when there are um, early funding happening in their domain. But it's very often extremely precise. Okay, I'm in medtech, but I'm interested in all this specific field. And, mm. Yeah. Mm. But so before we get, I, I mean, I, I would love to discuss more about the the stack that you're using. But I'm 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 curious about how do you type all this shit and in which editor. So <laughs> ah, the, yeah, it's uh, maybe it's gonna surprise you, but I'm an Emacs user. <laughs> See, I knew yeah. it. I mean, it's 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 really difficult job. So you need a proper ID for this. <laughs> exactly. No, no, I wouldn't wouldn't be possible without Emacs. No, it for sure. No, yeah, Emacs. Now it's yeah, it's been a long. I mean, a long time. I, there was a little hiatus where I didn't use Emacs for a couple of years, but then I quickly went back to uh, Sanity and just. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, yeah. University were introduced to. To it, so yeah, I'll, like for two years I was insane, and then I came back, and everything is fine again. Yeah. And then I started using Emacs. <laughs> yeah, you, it really does feel like a religion to me, you know. But okay. I think it's uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think you get used to uh, to so many things that it's hard to go back to uh, something else. Um, yeah. Unless you really have to for some reason. I mean, I was playing with Kotlin, for instance, uh, a couple of uh, months back. And I mean, the ID is so well done uh, that uh, and the Emacs integration is so poor that, uh, I mean, in that case, I understand it doesn't make sense to use Emacs. I mean, at least for now, then just wait a couple of years and who knows. But mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, at the beginning, I hated it. Well, Co- Kotlin is a little bit kind of, uh, it's got an unfair advantage, hasn't it? If it came, you know, it came from IntelliJ, so yeah. they're kind of like definitely privileging their IDE. <laughs> yes, that's uh, exactly that. And I mean, it's extremely powerful. Um, I mean, you can basically convert, uh, I mean, normal Java code to Kotlin in one click. And, yeah. I mean, you can mm. do crazy stuff. It's, uh, but then you have to live with the... Well, the rest of the ID, which is not so nice, uh, in my opinion. <laughs> right. And, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, so you you also use your own keyboard? Yes. Uh, well, it's not my own. It's the one that was designed mm. by uh, Phil Hagelberg, actually the guy behind Lightning. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Of course, um, yeah. But yeah, I've been using for quite some time also mechanical keyboards in general, and um, <laughs> with time, as time passes, it seems like they slow, they, they shrink down a bit more. Uh, Started with a full-size keyboard and uh, 10 kilos, 10 to 60 percent, and now I'm down to the Atreus, which is the one that Phil design. And uh, okay. yeah, it's an open-source design, so it's really nice for that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Because I, I'm, I've been lately dabbling or, or kind of thinking about getting one of those keyboards because I saw Arne, you know, Arne Browser. He, yes. he got this um, Ergodox DX or something. Yes. Then I've been itching to get one of these keyboards. And one of my colleague, uh, I, I work at WorkSpot, and one of my colleague, um, our software architect, Marine, he 3D prints his own shit. <laughs> so <laughs> he's, he's just 3D printing his keyboard. And it's like super, I mean, very ergonomic, actually. Yeah, like It's a butterfly design, so it's a split things. Yes, exactly. But I think when Phil designed that keyboard, the main uh, goal for him was, uh, it had, well, it had to be very ergonomical. Because I don't know if you've seen, mm. but Phil is the guy who used to uh, like wear pants with a, key- a keyboard split on each side of the the pant on one leg on one side and on the other. So he could basically work standing with a split keyboard yeah. on uh, sticking on his pants. Anyway, <laughs> so it's very comfortable. Mm. I mean, um, the, that keyboard, the Atreus, is really nice for that. Uh, I mean, it's extremely okay. small, so you might think, okay, but how do you how do you use such a small keyboard? Uh, you're missing tons of keys. But uh, the way the layouts are, um, are designed and the where well, so your fingers are positioned makes it uh, extremely comfortable and you actually, uh, it's less stressful uh, in general than a normal keyboard, uh, in my opinion. Okay. Because, yeah, how do you use then with, with your laptop then? I mean, you're basically bound to your keyboard, yeah, right? That's, so that's, uh, yeah. that's a pain. So before the podcast, I had to like take my laptop without the keyboard and go on the sofa downstairs. I mean, typically it was one of these moments and I have to type yeah. on a normal keyboard again. <laughs> and uh, for a couple of seconds, it's, it takes a bit of an effort to, uh, yeah, to not use your thumbs for, I mean, for a lot of stuff. And uh, yeah, it's strange. Mm-hmm. It's strange to go back. And that's one of the downsides uh, for sure. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. And the other goal of Phil was to make it uh, very small, very portable. And because uh, apparently he was uh, going on uh, working from coffee shops a lot and well, remote places, let's say. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. I mean, yeah, I could have taken it on my lap right now with me but uh yeah i didn't <laughs> i've seen these other why other guys who use these uh blank keyboards where they, they don't have any um they don't have anything on on their on their yeah, keycaps. No key, uh, yeah. it's like this yeah. uh das das company called das make mechanical keyboards mm. yeah and, that uh, was one of the precursors of these uh the way of doing things well mine doesn't have any either but it's not because uh um it's a security feature is it no, but if you, I mean, <laughs> yeah, your wife cannot use it. So for that, no. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I mean, anyway, you have 
we have so, I mean, the layout is so weird anyway that, uh, yeah, I mean, nobody's gonna really able, I mean, some, my mom is not gonna be able to use it uh, just by reading the, where the letters are uh, mostly. Um, especially the layout I have because the, like the return key is not even on the, the main layout. I mean, you don't have a return key. You use control and M basically to do return. So it's a yeah. bit uh, odd. Uh, but a lot of shortcuts like this are inherited from all uh, Unix stuff. Uh, so you get, yeah. I mean, you got used to these shortcuts before having an Atreus. So maybe the transition was a bit easier. But mm. I don't have tab, I don't have a return, I don't have arrow keys. Uh, <laughs> no, no backspace or control H. Yeah, no backspace. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Good, good times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in the end, seriously, you are, I mean, your hands are always on the home row, uh, more or less. Yeah. I mean, not always on the home row, but they don't move laterally, uh, or yeah. almost never. And uh, vertically, mm. they never move. It's just little finger movement. So it's really comfortable, and you can get to very fast uh, typing speeds. And okay. uh, yeah, I like it that way. But, but I've been thinking, what, what would be the next next way of writing code? Because we, we've been discussing this a lot at work as well. Like, okay, you know, the, you have to optimize it a lot. Of course, you know, you, you switch to one of these fancy keyboard layouts and everything, and for two days your speed goes down because you really want to communicate your thoughts faster to the screen. That's the whole idea. Yes. And I don't know how how we are going to solve this because at some point that the keying needs to stop. Maybe we should get this one of those brain implant shit or something. I don't know. And uh, just keep looking at the screen. I mean, it's muscle memory in the end. I mean, my opinion, I mean, to be honest, sometimes when some people ask me, okay, well, how do you do this in Emacs with what keys? I don't even know. I just do yeah. it uh, with my fingers and I couldn't tell you which keys are doing what just happened. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't, it's probably good enough uh, that way, I would say. But then mm, yeah. uh, it's I, a matter I, of... Yeah, you, was, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, I used to have one of those um, type matrix keyboards. Yes. Um, that was uh, where you have the um, the enter bar in the middle, the enter key in the middle, and it's kind of laid out a bit like, you can lay it out a bit like, you can have a zerty or qwerty or whatever you want. Um, but again, they're kind of very compact keyboards. Yes. Um, so how did, you, how did you get into this whole keyboard thing then? Because yeah, of oh, course, yeah. you know, huh. everyone just gets a QWERTY or a ZERTY keyboard for, I mean, you know, the Europeans use a ZERTY quite a lot. Yes. But, uh, but these QWERTY things are a piece of shit, basically. Everyone kind of knows that. No, but, I still use a regular layout myself. I still use QWERTY, but oh, just right, the okay. keyboard that's different. I don't use Colmac or, uh, the, oh, I mean, these kind okay. of layouts, no. Uh, but yeah, it's heavily modified for um, what I, I mean, how I like to use it. Hmm. But it's not as extreme as, uh, I don't know, I tried Colmac a bit, but I didn't, uh, I mean, the learning curve was kind of high. I mean, for basically a couple of weeks, not days, you're basically uh, a bit useless with a keyboard, and then uh, you get to it so slowly. It's already difficult enough with something with the Atreus. At the beginning, uh, for a couple of days, you're really lost. I mean, typing, uh, <laughs> Chatting is super easy because it's like the layout you're used to. Yeah, there are just two keys basically that change. But all the modifier in Emacs, uh, they change positions. You get to get, yeah. I mean, you have to get used to a lot of different uh, ways of doing things, especially on Emacs. And uh, yeah, it gets worse before it gets better. Uh, that's for sure. But uh, then it's a lot better, uh, in my opinion. And I mean, it's fun mm. also, the whole electronics part, you get to build it yourself. If there's an issue, you can basically fix it. You can replace the single key that fails if you have to. Uh, so or it comes can... as a DIY pack. Yeah, yeah, that's how it works. So 
Uh, you can order from field like packages with, uh, well, you can have it pre-built for, uh, let's say, a premium price. But otherwise, you can buy for 100 something dollars the, I mean, the whole uh, set and build mm. it yourself. Yeah. And uh, it's well made mm. and, uh, I mean, serviceable and everything is open source from the CAD files for the, for the plates and all this stuff, I mean, the case and mm. uh, to, uh, to all the electronics and the PCB and, and everything. Nice. Yeah. And I it's not get, I should uh, I should get one of these things these days because I, I need to get my Mac for repair because the N key got stuck on my keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so fucking annoying. I, I, yeah. I take it to them and then they say, oh, we need to replace the entire keyboard. What? Uh, for one fucking key? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And then give it give it to us for three to five days. And this is the new keys, you know, the, the butterfly yes. shit, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's yeah. just uh, irritating. So I was thinking I should get a different keyboard, and, but the, the main problem is, you know, if you're in a train, if you're traveling, then you, know, you, you get back uh, to this keyboard again. So That's why uh, I choose that keyboard in particular, because you can, mm. I mean, it's really small. I mean, it's not, it's uh, less wide than my uh, laptop uh, keyboard. Yeah, yeah. It's really compact. Yeah. And uh, mm. I mean, it's really easy to, uh, to carry around. And uh, I mean, if, if it breaks for whatever reason, or if security on the airport decides that it might be a bomb, <laughs> it's not too much of an issue like it would be with, uh, exactly. with others. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the Ergodox, for instance, that you were mentioning before, you can get a pre-built mm. one. Ergodox is easy, I think it's called, but it's going to cost you, uh, I think, 250 or $300 uh, coming close yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah. And probably even more if you're in Europe. Uh, so, I mean, it's mm. really nice keyboard and everything, but uh, I still prefer to have open source hardware for these kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so right. so this is the keyboard that you use to type all this closure code then. Yes. In Emacs. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the triumvirate, so, the open source keyboard, the Emacs, and the closure. Yeah, I mean, you're living exactly. the dream here, Max. Really. Well, as far as VJ is concerned. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm salivating. <laughs> I'm drooling. <laughs> Yeah, so we should we should we should move on to some of the libraries like you're gonna. Yes, suggest. exactly. So you use Emacs and then keyboard. So we talked about how, and then now we're going to talk <laughs> about what. What exactly are you are you doing these days, and and the library that 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 you're working on? Uh, well, libraries. mostly all the libraries that I've written, almost all of them at least that are on GitHub, um, they are libraries that I needed at some point to do uh, something at work. Um, mm. So there were a lot of libraries around Cassandra, for instance. Uh, so I wrote like, I think three different drivers for Cassandra uh, with the years. So I started like yeah. six years ago. And uh, yeah. I mean, there were drivers, I mean, libraries for Java, uh, but they were like not very nice to use, uh, full of annotations and stuff like that. Mm. And it mm. was kind of a, I mean, a learning, well, let's say a way to learn how Cassandra worked also uh, for me back then to implement uh, one from scratch. I think it could be a nice nice idea to, to give a quick overview of... Uh, know what's good about Cassandra and why ah, yeah. why why you started using that one yeah so Cassandra is a well distributed database uh, but it's very much oriented uh, well it's, it doesn't have a single point of failure in its design so you can basically every node is like uh, equal to another there's no master or slave or, or anything like that and um, yeah so it's very well they say that it's very low maintenance, but I mean, it's partially true. I mean, there's still some maintenance once you grow the, the cluster past the size, but it's yeah. very low uh, operation. I mean, at least when it came out, the big competitor was HBase, and HBase was a monster in terms of uh, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. yeah, installation and maintenance. 
So Cassandra mm-hmm. is very low uh, friction for that. And uh, yeah, you use Cassandra if you need to well store vast, I mean, large amount of data or and if you need a um, high amount of uh, writes, uh, a lot of writes uh, for whatever you're doing. So it's very good for analytics in general. People use it to store um, like time series and uh, counters mm-hmm. about a lot of stuff. Um, well, to talk about this thing is not really good at, uh, so it's one of the dat- databases in the class, uh, it's AP, I think. So there's no, the consistency is not, uh, you cannot yeah. have transactions or anything like that. There's no guarantee mm-hmm. that you're gonna get uh, through a read what you just wrote, uh, basically. But um, yeah, but other than that, it's uh, really, I mean, it's really resilient. It's never, I mean, it's very hard to, uh, to get into a non-usable state uh, um, mm-hmm. with a cluster, even if machines are down or if you have uh, net splits or stuff like that. Split brains, I would say, not net splits. Yeah. And so um, where did you use yeah. this thing then? So Cassandra is used and by your company right now, Affinity? Yes, Cassandra is used uh, in different ways. So we have like two, the company I think has a 40 nodes cluster right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another one uh, a bit smaller. Um, but uh, overall, there are like 90 machines uh, that mm. are involved, uh, that use Cassandra in one way or another, I think. Okay. Uh, I don't have the exact number. Do you numbers. have this um, like cross data center replication as well in Cassandra? Uh, yeah, you can have this. Yeah, if you. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, do you guys use like a cross data center? No, no, no. We don't have cross data center. We are everything, okay. all the main clusters are on uh, the bare metal. On OVH, okay. so we don't. Uh, it's actually a problem because we had an outing recently, and that was a mm-hmm. discussion about, uh, yeah, supporting cross data center replication. But yeah, then okay. the costs uh, kind of yeah mm-hmm. changes, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. we can also use it at much smaller scale. We use it uh, in other projects uh, at uh, yeah very small scale, let's say, and it works just fine. And it was originally mm-hmm. uh, by design so that when the setup of a client would uh, grow past a size, you could just easily uh, well, make it grow. Because Cassandra has a very good thing is that um, it's very predictable in when you need to scale. If you need like twice the true output, uh, I mean, you can just add basically double the nodes and you're going to get that more or less. So uh, yeah. that's one of the really good thing about it. So how come and, Clojure uh, then? Yeah. Clojure plus Cassandra. So, yeah. How come well, closure uh, was because I just um, yeah fell in love with the language that I mentioned, and uh, but yeah the drivers were so so let's say for uh, Java and it was a good exercise for me also to learn Cassandra to uh, I, decided, I said okay I'm just gonna write one of these uh, these drivers and it was based on the on the Trift uh, interface back then, um, yeah. so and there was one only for Java but it was using the regular Trift interface and there was an existing, existing interface using async thrift uh, back then, so the asynchronous one. And since it was the hot thing uh, to have uh, to be asynchronous and everything back then, I, I tried and said, okay, just gonna use that one. And uh, so I implemented part of the protocol for a couple of things, uh, like collection types and maps and all this stuff. And all the, the funny stuff, uh, the retry policies, the load balancing. I mean, it's a good experience. Uh, I learned a couple of things doing that. And uh, more or less when I was, well, and we used that driver for quite some time, for a couple of years, and he was doing okay. really well. I mean, he was doing okay uh, 
Uh, then Netflix came out with their own driver, which was uh, not for Clojure, but for Java, which was really nice, uh, called Astanax. Um, mm -hmm. So we were thinking, okay, maybe we should transition to this. And then the company that's backing uh, uh, Cassandra commercially right now um, yeah. came out with their own, which became like the official Java driver. And it was yeah. also written in a way that was, um, that was kind of nice and made it a good fit also for Clojure. So that's, yeah, when I decided, okay, I'm going to just write a simple wrapper for that one and um, try not to grow it too much. That was the original idea. Uh, and then, mm -hmm. yeah, it came, went out a bit of control and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's, it's becoming what it is now. It's the, the library called Alaya that's uh, on GitHub. And that's what we use right now. That's uh, at least on the clusters that are running uh, Cassandra 3. Point something. That's what mm -hmm. we're using because we're still older uh, installations. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that you emphasize on the on the the page, Max, is performance. So yes. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about why why, for instance, other closure wrappers or closure in general might not give great performance by default. And what have you okay. done to, yes. to mitigate that? So there were a couple of things. There were a couple of drivers existing in the past for Cassandra, uh, for Clojure. But uh, there was a lot of, uh, I mean, they wanted to make a super beautiful Clojure API, which was, a, I mean, a nice goal to have. But then there was a lot of, um, I mean, there was a lot of abstraction, of um, abstraction, and it made things very slow. A lot of intermediary suck everywhere. And uh, when I like profile some of them, it was not really nice uh, to see all the garbage created uh, left and right. So one of my goals was to make the, so the Java driver was actually really lightweight and low level. So it was kind of easy to build just a very small uh, like closure layer on top that basically was a couple of function calls away from the, the Java thing. And uh, I was trying really not to uh, to abuse, um, well, laziness or sex and all the things in Clojure that can make these things a bit uh, slower. And um, so, yeah, I just try to keep it simple in short. Um, yeah. And yeah, a lot of profiling also to make sure I was not going uh, a bit too wild in some cases. And the parts that would be slower for one reason or another, like the, um, the there's another like uh, brother library of uh, the main driver, which is like uh, a DSL, a bit like uh, uh, what exists in Clojure for um, working with normal SQL or, um, or Corma in the past. So you can basically use maps uh, to mm -hmm. generate your queries. That stuff was all optional. So, okay, that was a bit slower. We do uh, a lot of string manipulations on that one, but you don't have to pay the tax of uh, performance at this level if you don't want to. And, um, and actually, we don't really use it uh, that much. We use it just for uh, the um, like migrations and setting up tables and all these kind of things, but not really in the, the real queries. They all end up being like prepared queries uh, when you, want, you care about performance anyway. And uh, ah, yeah, yeah. And another thing was the, so there's a lot of iteration obviously in this kind of thing. So you're gonna iterate over um, rows in a table and then in over column. The facilities that made it really fast. So you can, uh, for instance, iterate over rows using uh, a reducible, um, so it's, there's going to be like no cost, no set created at any point um, in one of the, the ways you can query the database. And uh, also you can do that in some fancy ways. Uh, I mean, you can, for instance, do like a select star on the whole Cassandra table that can contain terabytes of data. 
and get a reducible over that and just iterate over the content uh, without holding the head on anything and without, I mean, it's a streaming protocol on the Cassandra side. So it's mm. going to just come at you as you call the, the, um, the function, basically, and halt when you want to hit to halt. And there's another part of the API, which is a bit, uh, well, totally lazy, um, which uh, allows you really to, um, well, to basically have a lot of fine-grained control over iterations over, um, over this data, over your queries, well, over what they, re they return. Mm. And for the query language, um, so you have your own version, right? For the D you have your own DSL for this one. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was saying before. We have a yeah. library called Hate uh, because the karma that existed that was kind of nice. I mean, the idea yeah. at least was nice, but then the implementation was so-so for some reasons. It was a lot of macros, and I don't think there was an intermediary uh, representation also of the queries. There was no data basically that you can manipulate. So the idea yeah. was to like uh, take inspiration from what uh, Karma was doing, uh, at least at the surface layer, uh, how the API works, but then have uh, just data structures that represent your queries. So you have just maps. Um, yeah, basically just maps in short. And okay. you can easily manipulate uh, your queries that way. You just use the normal uh, closure function, conj, merge, and, and all these. Mm -hmm. And um, so yeah, you can generate prepared statement or uh, normal statements with that. So, um, and also on that side, there was a lot of uh, focus on performance, even though, um, I mean, if you really care about performance, you will not like, generate tons of string, I mean, do a lot of string manipulations at runtime uh, um, through that library. You're just gonna use that to generate prepared statements and then use the prepared statements instead. So, 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 um, so Max, why do you hate Cassandra? Why, why is, I'm sorry. <laughs> why, do you hate, why do you hate Cassandra? <laughs> 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 well, what what is the name for actually? I I don't know why why I mean I know it's not spelled spelled H A Y T, isn't it? Um, A Y no, uh, I'm sorry the the library the DSL uh, library you mean? Yeah, hate yeah yeah yeah, yeah hate and oh it's uh, <laughs> because the main library the Java driver is uh, not the closure driver is called Alaya, which is uh, a yeah. um, character in Dune uh, in the book, and. Uh, Hate is another character basically in that book, and they have like, um, well, let's say links. And uh, I don't know, it was right, just okay. a name that I picked like that from the Wikipedia, Wikipedia page of Dune. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I'm not really good with it's naming. Particularly, you hate you hate Cassandra, so you decided <laughs> ah, to make no, a no. point. Ah no, no, it was not, the, not at all the intent. It's no. a subtle stab on Cassandra. I think. Yeah. Okay, I hate you, but you know, I'm gonna hate you. Ah, well, Cassandra, it's a uh, yeah, love-hate relationship uh, that we have. That's uh, true also. No, it can be really good and it can be annoying for some things. Uh, yeah. It's not the perfect mm -hmm. solution. And sometimes you just wished uh, you selected Postgres for something instead of Cassandra. Um, so. so so you also do a library for uh, Elasticsearch as well, don't you? Yeah, uh, Spandex. Spandex, Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like you so, said, names, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, same. I mean, I'm very impressed are... that you're wearing spandex for this podcast. That's quite yeah. impressive, actually. <laughs> you know, I might be. I think <laughs> you didn't have to wear yellow, but you know, I'm impressed that you did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was the same situation a bit. I mean, no, it's not really true. But there is some, and there are some libraries for Elasticsearch, um, but some of them are not maintained really anymore. Or they're like in live support. I mean, it feels like. Uh, some of the maintainers just merge pull requests, but there's not really any work done on them anymore. And if you've worked with Elasticsearch in the past, 
um, probably know that, I mean, it's a super fast moving project. I mean, every version, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they depreci depreciate a lot of stuff. There's a lot of new features and the low level bits change and it becomes really, uh, I mean, even just for a regular user to follow the API sometimes as it evolves. So for the drivers, it was a bit the same problem. And um, even on their side, the people uh, running Elastic decided to basically ditch the, because there were two things in the past. There was like the native transport uh, based library yeah. and the REST uh, library. So you could choose, okay, I'm need like extreme performance and whatnot, and I'm going to use the native transport one. Or yeah. I can just give up a bit of uh, network latency and uh, use the HTTP based library. But uh, I mean, now with the kind of, uh, I mean, with HTTP, you can go very far. And I mean, the difference is not so big anymore between the two. And they said uh, officially uh, not too long ago that the way to go would be to use the rest, uh, the rest layer and forget about the transport, the native transport other than, uh, than to basically build Elasticsearch itself. Yeah, it's so, funny, isn't it? Because uh, CouchDB had a REST API from the beginning and all yeah. the Elastic people were, oh, we do REST bullshit. Yeah, we, we, want, we <laughs> want the real native API. That's how you get really good performance. Yeah. And uh, yeah. they've eaten their we words big time. I mean, the idea, uh, yeah, in theory, it's nice to have your own native, uh, I mean, your protocol and everything, like Cassandra does. But, uh, I mean, Elasticsearch is not in a domain where it's necessary to uh, to go that, uh, I mean, to go to these extremes. And HTTP also is changing a bit uh, with HTTP2, and you can get to, uh, I mean, very close performance. You don't pay the, the round-trip latency like before, um, I would think. What do you do about, because um, one of the things that they have in Elasticsearch is these aggregation pipelines. Yes. Uh, that's something we use a lot, actually. Um, well, so just to continue a tiny bit on the, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. On the Elasticsearch part, I mean, one thing mm -hmm. that was extremely annoying for us is that every time you upgrade your um, Elasticsearch version uh, with the native transport, you have to upgrade, I mean, you have to use the exact same transport, basically, yeah, uh, driver. Yeah. So it was a huge pain. If you have, like, uh, many different servers for many different clients, like we had, sometimes running still 1.75 because you have mm. to, and sometimes 2.4 and sometimes 5 point something, it becomes uh, a nightmare. And uh, so that's yeah, why we decided, okay, we need something more uh, robust. So we're going to build on the new HTTP client. And uh, mm. since they just released their own and they maintain it, and I mean, they do the work uh, with paid people uh, for us, we're just going to do again a thin layer over that and mm. uh, use that. It's going to be just fine. So it started as a couple of hours uh, library and it, Grew, grew out from there. And so, yeah, Cassandra is really uh, good at, uh, well, at a couple of things. So, well, first of all, it's not a replacement for a normal database. It's not a database at all, I would say. It's just an no, you mean Elasticsearch, yeah. Yeah, Elasticsearch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So you always have to have uh, some kind of data store in the back that's going to store really what you're going to then index on Elasticsearch, in my opinion. Mm. Um, then uh, it's extremely good at uh, well searching stuff obviously, and um, <laughs> you can express really complicated queries and do like uh, waiting custom waiting on terms or on value of fields and do like well really a lot of crazy stuff just for the search part. But there's also the yeah aggregations. Uh, so aggregation you can do uh, well very complex analysis stuff that you used to do uh, by denormalizing data or running batch processes in the past. Uh, but you can do it live, more or less, with Elasticsearch. So, okay, yeah, it's going to cost you a bit more resources, obviously, but you can go uh, very far uh, with what uh, what it gives you. 
What do you think about this? Because uh, I know data stacks, data stacks, uh, the Cassandra people they, um, that you mentioned earlier, they they also ship. Um, they have a yes. They have their like enterprise edition of data yes. stacks, and that comes with uh, Solar rather than Elasticsearch. Yes. Um, but both based on Lucene in the end, of course. So yes. you know, it's the same fundamental indexing. Um, yes. But uh, but what what. One of the advantages they claim, and I think it's a decent advantage, is that you don't need to move the data around. You can do the searches in place on the data that you've got. Yes, exactly. Well, they integrate directly with what's stored in Cassandra and gives you like knobs to choose uh, yeah. how data, basically uh, how long it lives and so on. But uh, why they choose Solar instead of Elasticsearch? Uh, to be honest, I don't really know. And uh, we didn't choose uh, their solution for a couple of reasons. One of them because it's uh, well you have to pay to use it. It's a DSC, <laughs> so Data Stacks Enterprise. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's a bit uh, I don't know. We used also Elasticsearch in the past, so we just knew how to use it, and it was the like the obvious choice. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. And we do a lot of uh, a very often our clients they have like their own platform with like their own Cassandra, their own Elasticsearch, and their own everything. So every if every time we have to pay a license, it would be like a big problem for us. Right. Right. And, right. Uh, same for the, I mean, Datomic, Datomic. we uh, even thought about it at some point, um, not too long ago, we really uh, evaluated, I mean, in terms of feature, it would be a perfect fit for one of our, uh, one of our products, but then, uh, yeah, it costs too much, and uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's one thing. So, so uh, I'm curious about your, your, your stack, so you use Cassandra and Elasticsearch, so obviously Cassandra for storing and Elasticsearch for uh, querying and, and your own libraries for both uh, yes. using Clojure. Huh, yeah. um, so where, where is the business logic running? What is the Clojure stack? Uh, well, the Clojure runs everywhere. That's uh, on the what we call Finity Data, which is like the data platform, the one that does all the um, streaming aggregation and enrichment. And that's basically the huge data provider for the rest of the, um, the clients, let's say peers, as we could call them. Mm -hmm. um, it's used everywhere. It's used for normalization of data. It's used for um, the machine learning stuff. It's yeah. used for the enrichment. It's used uh, but everywhere. Which, which libraries? I mean, do you use any uh, like Spark or something? Uh, to... Not really. It's mostly Cassandra, Kafka, yeah. Elasticsearch. And uh, no, there's not much of... Uh... The, the computation, for example, do you use Onyx or uh, have, no. you, have you looked into Onyx? Or? Yeah, we did. Uh, for a project that uh, mm. we had recently, we evaluated it. I was not working mm -hmm. on that one, but then they went with a big query uh, uh, just because it, uh, in, I mean, it was not exactly the, the same, of course. It's not yeah, totally yeah. different, but uh, it included uh, like all the operational stuff was uploaded to, the, to Google, basically. And uh, okay. on top of that, you had the data store that was, uh, that fit uh, the need. But yeah, Onyx mm -hmm. was something that I really liked and that I suggested to the people that were working on that uh, when that came uh, on the table. Yeah, and that's a, that's a project I would use myself if uh, it's a good fit for whatever we, we do. Okay, and and the, and the front end is built in Clojure Script as well. Yes, uh, no, not Clojure Script. Okay. Uh, it was no. at some point very early on, uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I mean, Paper Li, the other service is still in Ruby, uh, I think the the front end, but uh, mm -hmm. the other products they are most they are all in Clojure, I think. Uh, I mean, the backend that serves the the HTTP request from the the users or the clients. Then uh, yeah. it's JavaScript, uh, there's a lot of React, and mm. uh, yeah, other kind of frameworks like this, but it's not uh, closure. Uh, simply due to the fact that 
the people who are working on it, they are like JavaScript developers. I mean, yeah. they're good JavaScript developers. They are very familiar with React and so on. But uh, uh, Clojure script is not something they would be comfortable using, I think, uh, if we ask them to. Uh, okay. Yeah. Or it would but in, take in, in this stack, using using Clojure, I mean, what was the biggest challenge for you using Clojure? Because I mean, sometimes you can you can pick uh, these days. You know, you have lots of options. Of course, you're also yes. uh, familiar with Erlang, for example. Yeah. Um, so picking closure, what was the biggest challenge? Uh, the biggest challenge? That's a very good question. Hmm. Do you mean challenge or motivation? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't They're know. Kind of the same thing, aren't they? Really? <laughs> what 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 did you What was What did closure offer that these other languages made a bit more tricky? Or okay, uh, that's if you have to tell uh, your manager, you know, today, do you can you still defend closure as a good choice? It was the access to a lot of libraries. Uh, first of all, access to the GVM. But without uh, having to write 10 times more code with Java on, right. at the cost of a tiny bit of performance, not a tiny bit, but at the cost of performance, probably. But uh, we all got uh, extremely productive, I think, using Clojure. And right now, when I try other languages, even like easier, let's say, versions of Java, like Kotlin, where a lot uh, is done uh, upfront by the IDE and the language is a lot simpler, but uh, still, Clojure is unbeatable for productivity, I think. Um, I mean, working from a Ripple is a huge win over uh, mm -hmm. the previous workflow I had, uh, especially UVI Max. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but uh, no, <laughs> you can run a Ripple. It's all because of Emacs. In fairness, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's uh, yeah. Productivity was the huge and libraries. So yeah, you get access to crazy good quality libraries for everything and anything. Uh, Erlang is awesome for a lot of stuff, but you're gonna get constrained to uh, a couple of uh, domains, and uh, you're never gonna do uh, machine. I mean, not now at least. Machine learning with Erlang, and there are a lot of stuff you have to write it from scratch. So it's good for mm. some things, but not all. And uh, we just use whatever is good for whatever we need uh, to do at at a point in time, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so, what kind of machine learning things that you that you guys use there? Uh, there's a lot of actually custom code. We have a guy who's really good at uh, all this stuff. Well, we can mm -hmm. call him like the data scientist of the company. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of custom written code. And um, let me think for a bit. On top of my head, I couldn't give you names of libraries or specific frameworks. Okay. But yeah, we, we use a lot of OpenNLP, for instance, for something yeah, that yeah. I wrote. Uh, because you deal with lots of text then, so mostly yes. text-related. Uh, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of uh, yeah en enrichment or um, yeah. like yeah gender detection all these kind of things or categorization and yeah so like also trying to deduplicate content since we did a lot with articles uh, one of his tasks I for instance was to um, to detect uh, articles that are like extremely similar and that were mm. basically copies of uh, each other so you get and, rid of uh, content forms. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there are a lot of challenges like this that are not really visible on the surface of the like what you receive through your data when you're a client. But there are a lot mm. of little tasks like this that require a lot of uh, fiddling with um, either machine learning or well statistics or these kind of things. Uh, and so it's yeah. so it's yeah. like it's like they say then you 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 basically hire a PhD guy and then you have him spend him spending uh, eighty percent <laughs> of his time. Running Perl scripts to clean up the data, or their equivalent thereof, you know, enclosure. Yeah, that's it's a bit. No, it's not like. No, it's not as. A, well, he doesn't not as use Perl. He uses Clojure, okay. but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But no, other than that, yeah, it's a bit, uh, a bit like this. But we all, I mean, I wrote a lot of the enrichment stuff uh, also uh, before the merge of the two companies. So some of it was my responsibility. And they use some of what I wrote uh, in the past uh, in the like huge data platform now. But it's mostly his work. Um, mm. And that's uh, used for all the rest. That like is the big part of the machine learning uh, tasks we have now. And a lot of it, actually, we can, I mean, it's not really machine learning, but a lot of uh, very advanced stuff can be done also through Elasticsearch directly. Uh, I mean, it's not machine learning at all, but you can get really fine-grained uh, precision on over what you you want from the data through yeah. uh, scoring, custom scoring, and stuff like I mean, it sounds dumb, but you can create custom queries, basically, like sub-queries that will score your uh, your original filtered queries in some ways, and you can go really far mm. with just that. But I think Elasticsearch focuses on what they call relevance, doesn't it? Yes, um, exactly. And that's, you know, there's still magic to, to everybody, you know, at this point. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of maths behind that, isn't there? Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. Sometimes you have to dig a bit into how things work to understand what are going to be the implications in terms of performance or uh, storage uh, about some features. But, uh, yeah, it's really magic in many ways. Uh, and, but, yeah... Well, it's at the cost of some control. Uh, yeah. When the, the person in charge of the like data science part really uh, works on this stuff, you're going to have a lot of guarantees and you can really tailor-made the solution to what mm. you want to do. Mm. With Elasticsearch, you give away a bit. Uh, mm. Yeah. Mm. So do you do only, like, uh, so your system is only processing English language content? No, that's or the thing. Or do you process uh, other languages as well? No, that's one of the big challenges. Mm. We process more or less anything. So we have clients yeah. that are in Spain, in a lot of in Central Europe, a lot of okay. French, a lot of uh, a bit of everything. We had some French, national French TVs uh, here and there. So mm. even in Switzerland at some point, so Switzerland is like three languages. So you start yeah. with, uh, so from the start it was, uh, yeah, it's a challenge because you find a lot of mm. uh, models um, that are in for English. I mean, pre-trained models yeah, for yeah. whatever, but... Exactly. As soon as you need like Chinese or uh, I don't know, uh, no, even, even German, I mean, stemming yeah. and everything, and yeah, exactly. that changes the whole. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, you have to do it yourself, uh, I guess. So, uh, you okay. find ways to do it uh, for categorization. Uh, the very early versions were basically crawling news websites, even though maybe I shouldn't yeah. say it, but yeah, anyway, we're doing that and through the different categories on their sites to get content that were matching a certain domain, like sport, finance, or whatever, and you train mm. your models on that. But then uh, you use the Wikipedia a lot uh, when you evolve yeah. a bit on this kind of websites that gives you a bit mm. more precision and, uh, and where there's a lot of like freely accessible content. Uh, but yeah, it's okay. one of the big challenge, finding the data. So just to maybe just to move on a little bit, Max, is the, the, one of the, you've got a very small library, but I think you've done a lot of thinking about it, which is the stuff around spec, because when we're talking about data quality, um, presumably, yes. This is something which, in theory at least, once you can start to describe your data a bit better, you yes. should have a bit more power over its entry into your system. So yeah. could, tell, tell us a little bit about how you're thinking about that in terms of its usage in your domain. Yeah, that's good you mentioned it. We use spec a lot, actually. Uh, and I was the one pushing it uh, well, because I liked uh, the, the principle at the beginning. We were using schema before. And... Uh, I was very skeptical about spec at first, uh, I have to say. I don't know, it felt the, the way to write the spec was not as, uh, 
natural as the way you would write uh, schemas um, mm. in the mm. past. Schemas, basically, when you were uh, speaking, um, well, doing a schema for a map, it was a map. And when it was for a set, it was a set. And it was really easy to read. And the uh, spec was a bit, uh, it was different that way at the beginning. So for me, I was very skeptical. But then I started using it. And yeah, I slowly, uh, well, fell in love a bit with the the way um, there's the split between the keys and the maps and, and so on. So yeah, we use it a lot. We have uh, thousands of, light of, of lines of specs probably in our code base right now. And mm -hmm. it spotted some very pernicious bugs. Uh, and uh, we were like kind of amazed by, uh, I mean, we had like very specific specs, for instance, for um, geographical coordinates mm -hmm. that were saying, okay, latitude should be within these bounds, latitude within these bounds. And before we were not caring about that stuff. We were just saying basically, okay, it should be like a number. It was a bit more precise, yeah. but it was more or less that. Mm. And it was finding bugs, like we had coordinates that were not right sometimes coming from some data sources. And then, I mean, some really weird bugs uh, that we would never have detected uh, were detected by spec. But we are not, I would say, power users. Uh, we don't use everything from spec. Um, I'm not using instrumentation a lot. Um, I use mm. it a bit in development, but... Uh, very often, I'm getting bit by some of the shortcomings of instrumentation, I think. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know that, I mean, I like instrumentation when you're doing tests and stuff like that, because obviously it makes it very easy. Yes. Um, but uh, obviously, there's a runtime overhead. So yeah. and you're seeing some other things as well? No, what I do usually is basically I split, I create a separate namespace just for the spec, and I uh, load it as I write some code, and I uh, use instrument there. But um, I mean, but not for everything. But sometimes I have just to put uh, asserts in seven of instrument of using instrumentation. Uh, typically, when I have a higher order function uh, passed to another function, you get mm -hmm. to some weird situation where generative testing is going to be called on that function. And then, uh, depending on what the higher order function does, um, I mean, the anonymous function that you pass to your function does, it's gonna just not going to work. Uh, when you have to deal with interrupt, for instance, uh, generative testing is either going to be uh, strange because you have to create a lot of code just to have uh, um, the, the generative part works, even if you don't really care about it. Hmm. And uh, for this, I, I would sometimes wish it would be a bit simpler, like it would just wrap the function that you pass as an argument with asserts, basically, and yeah. do validation at runtime just as simple as that, like this. But uh, that's one of the things. But other than that, I use a cert uh, like everywhere. And the fact that you can enable, disable it uh, at will, uh, and I mean, either at compile time or either at runtime, and this is kind of awesome. And uh, sometimes you just want to enable it, uh, in, even not in production, but in like staging environment and mm. see uh, where it fails at some point, it's super useful. And uh, yeah, I had a taste of that with other languages I used in the past. Um, and yeah, now I, it's probably something I couldn't do without. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to, I mean, I know that there's going to be in the next iteration of spec coming out in the near future. Uh, I've heard about mm -hmm. Rich working on that. And I'm really wondering what's going to come next and uh, if there are changes to uh, some of the existing things that I think are a bit, uh, that could be like improved. And uh, yeah. And my other big, uh, not disappointment, but thing I don't really like is the way you compose specs right now. Uh, sometimes mm. you have to get to, uh, you get to, I mean, overall, it's really good at um, composition, but sometimes you are in cases where it's, you need something a bit advanced 
and you need to compose a lot of specs in weird ways and you have to use eval because it's all macros and it's kind of ugly uh, to have to resort to eval to do this kind of stuff. And you just wish you had like a more data. I mean, it was represented more in data than just like forms. And, uh, and I know that articles about that uh, in Jira, um, like they're talking about the possibility to conform um, a spec and then basically modify it because then it would be like a normal closure data and then unform it and you get another spec. So that <laughs> would be a way to do it. So it, but it sounds still a bit convoluted, the, the whole process. I, mm. I don't know, but I'm waiting to see how it is and I'm a bit uh, quick to judge sometimes. So uh, we'll, see, uh, <laughs> okay. we'll see how it is when it comes out. <laughs> but yeah. did you use any, any uh, statically typed languages because, you know, yeah. to, to have a comparison? Yeah, I've used some OCaml, OCaml uh, yeah. and I've used, I've used Haskell as well. But um, OCaml, we actually have a couple of small things written in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's very comfortable to have a type system, but uh, you're still going to generate bugs no matter what. And yeah. most of the time... Well, that's, even, that's kind of a stupid argument people make yeah. that, you know, you're not going to have any bugs. No, that's that's, no, I that's mean, kind of... A, it's going to yeah. catch the stupid stuff. That Yes, yeah. but the, I mean, most of the bugs that we have, I mean, if I look at our issue trackers, it's not because you made a typo or because it's the wrong type of stuff passing here mm. or there. It's because of some weird domain thing that makes it that uh, you missed a case or something like yeah. that. Um, but yeah, it helps. And uh, I don't know, I think there's a sweet spot between... Uh, like strong, I mean, Haskell or OCaml style uh, mm. static type system and closure. And maybe Erlang is yeah. like a good uh, middle ground, actually. I mean, Erlang mm. has no nil. Uh, the data types are fairly simple and use tuples for a lot of stuff. And you have a um, static type checker that's good, but that's not crazy uh, like what you would have in Haskell or OCaml. And basically, yeah. you are almost guaranteed if you spec everything you write, uh, well, almost everything, that your code is going to be bug-free and it's going to run just fine for years. I mean, it's kind of crazy, the reliability of uh, Erlang code. Uh, yeah. I mean, compared mm. to even Clojure. Mm. But we might just get there with, uh, with spec because it's not far okay. uh, from what exists uh, in Erlang. So I have, I mean, it's very, it's very impressive. I see the numbers that, that you're talking about with the affinity thing, you know, so many millions of articles analyzed yes. and a different um, amount, of, amount of data that you're analyzing. So I have two questions about surrounding the closure. Look, do you have any estimate on how many lines of code that you have in closure? And then what is the team size? I have no idea about the lines of code. It's a good question. <laughs> I seriously, absolutely no idea. No, uh, I mean, if you, if you take out all the libraries that you ah, wrote libraries, and then released. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of them. I would probably, it's probably in like 50 libraries, probably. I don't know. We also hmm. use Git for um, like configuration. So there's like hundreds of them, but uh, that's probably in the 50 of real libraries, I yeah. would say. And uh, then the number of people uh, before the merge, that was just me working on closure stuff. Then when we merged the oh. uh, team on the other side, um, there are two people. Well, two, I mean, almost three, I would say, that, uh, that work with closure, but really two full time. And uh, yeah. yeah, and they inherited uh, from code that was written from other closure developers. So uh, the team changed a lot uh, on the other side of the company. Mm. And mm. Uh, it's all people from Switzerland that are still working with Clojure for most of them. And mm. uh, so I've heard about one of them, like had one of his projects presented at the huge AWS uh, conference uh, not too long ago, showing off yeah, another yeah. Proje- Clojure project he's working yeah, on exactly. now, which is kind of yeah. insane. Uh, that was Olivier. 
A little and, enclosure, uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, I don't know exactly what they are doing, but uh, it's probably very impressive. Okay. And mm. uh, the other team is uh, the guys behind Exoscale, which is a hosting provider uh, in Switzerland, which yeah. are doing also, uh, I mean, a lot of good stuff. It's a bit similar to DigitalOcean mm. in the, the, the way they, they, the service works, but uh, with mm. uh, other selling points. And it's super impressive what they're doing. And that's mostly, uh, well, I know Pierre Richard that works there. And uh, I don't know about uh, the others. Uh, I know a couple of them, but from Python, they're mostly from the Python world, from what I know. Yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll, pretty, we'll pretty talk pretty to them in the future because I worked there for a while. So yeah, yeah, we'll leave that one for another episode. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is pretty pretty impressive with the with the stack that you have and um, with the I mean, closure is running behind this this big organization and. It's usually you don't you don't get to hear these things much, right? I mean that 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 is the interesting part. When things are running smoothly, nobody nobody complains, so nobody knows that what 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 is happening. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, it's not a lot of people for a lot of uh, a lot of work. When you think about it, yeah. it, it is true. But yeah, closure makes it easy to iterate very fast. I mean, we mm. did a lot of uh, stuff. I mean, small products that failed also in the past uh, on both sides of the company, and uh, mm. it allows you to do that. Uh, Without losing too much, I would say. Um, and and how do you how do you deploy the? Uh, I mean, let's talk about the final stage. So yes. you 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 write the code and then you you spec it and then you make sure that it's bug free okay. and then you, now now you need to deploy the code. There are two ways of uh, working. Um, I mean, on the on the, I mean, what I call our side of the company, even though it means mm -hmm. one company, one team now. But on the what was the our company at the beginning. We use uh, Ansible, but uh, there's a wall um, you pass by CI and then Jenkins build the stuff. And then we have our yeah. own internal tools to do uh, deployments and to follow the life cycle of every uh, deployment for the clients. So tools written actually in Clojure and Clojure script. That's the exception oh. for Clojure script. So yeah. And uh, on the other side, they use Palette, which also is written in Clojure, mm. which yeah, is an yeah. orchestration library, which was a yeah. bit... Uh, inspired from uh, probably uh, Palette Chef, all this stuff. But that yeah. runs without an agent as also, which is a bit more like uh, Hansible that way. So yeah, that's why it, that it works. And the infrastructure, I think it's like 90 servers uh, on one side and around 50 on the other. And uh, 90 wow. bare metal and 50 that are split between Exoscale and DigitalOcean, so it's uh, VMs for the other side. Mm. So there's a bit okay. of everything. It's like fairly automated. Impressive. Yeah. But you do your own hosting then? You you mostly build your own racks and do your own things? No, uh, it's uh, on OVH. Uh, when I say bare, bare metal, it's uh, oh, not right, VMs. Okay. That's what I mean. So it's basically cheaper uh, infrastructure um, and a bit better performance depending on what you do. Uh, all the Cassandra, I mean, the important Cassandra clusters are all on bare metal, for instance. Mm. All right, right, right. Okay. So it's a it's a rack somewhere in a in a cave. Exactly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's a pretty impressive uh, uh, explanation of... of uh, I mean, I've never heard, heard that this is... Um, Paperly was built in Clojure. I mean, this is the first time I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it. So that's, that's interesting for me. And of course, now I see the bigger picture. Now it makes uh, more sense. And it is impressive to hear that you know, Clojure is being used at this scale. 
And that is pretty awesome. It's also quite it's quite one of those things where you know you hear people talk about uh, the 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 sweet spot for closure is big data, but then yeah. everyone's saying, yeah, but where are the examples? You know, so it's quite nice to hear yeah. a good story, a good example. You know, like you yeah. say, with are very few developers, um, you know, moving a lot of ground, you know, pulling yeah. up a lot of trees. Um, so that's quite impressive, you know. There are a lot of projects, I think, that are probably low profile and that we don't mm. hear about that are running closure behind the scenes. I mean, even some of the developers on our teams, they are not people that are like a closure famous, let's say. Sure. They're not writing tons of closure <laughs> libraries and they're not on Slack all day. And, but mm. they're still extremely talented. I mean, they're really good programmers and they're, yeah, you don't never, I mean, you never hear about them, that's all. And it's probably not the exception. Uh, it's probably the rule, actually. And um, yeah. So, yeah. It's too bad that uh, some projects they don't come out more uh, in strength uh, talking about what they are doing publicly. That's true. But uh, mm. I don't know. Maybe it's something that should be uh, improved uh, via conferences. Uh, well, podcast is a good way to do that also. Yeah. 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 We're, we're, we're trying, trying our, our bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> but this, this, this is why we want to talk, you know, people who are who are you know, so metaphorically speaking, neck deep into closure, and then you know they're they're using closure to build these kind of awesome things. And of course, I I knew about you uh, when Ray was mentioning about Cassandra library, and but I didn't know that you are part of this. You know, there is a huge iceberg, huh. and, and the two yeah. libraries yeah. were basically like a, you know tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Hmm. So it's it's very nice to hear, and then it's very uh, you know. Um, motivating for people who are listening as well they're like oh shit i mean we can do all this shit in closure you know that's that's yeah when that, you think that, about how it started also uh, basically yeah. i was just toying with closure on a small project uh, on my side which yeah. became a product which became a company which like merged with another one and so on and so forth so in the end yeah. uh, mm -hmm. it doesn't don't, don't need much and the small yeah. things can become bigger fantastic yeah hey right. so i think we are almost uh, one hour into the recording um, but you know, very very uh, insightful discussion uh, for me at least. And now now I can talk about hey, you know, you can use uh, closure for big data stuff. I mean, it, it can't get bigger than this, right? I mean, I mean <laughs> bigger as in, of course, you can keep adding more and more websites and everything. Yes. But um, almost um, fifty million uh, websites and blogs. It is um, it's a big beast, I would say. Um, so, uh, any conclusive thoughts? Mm. Good question. Did we miss <laughs> any of the kind of areas that you wanted to chat about, Max? Uh, let's see. Excellent, excellent. Perfect. Otherwise, you need to come back and then we no, need to I do another episode. So. I yeah. you covered it all, uh, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I'm just months about uh, what would come out in Croatia. It was a bit like the Steve Jobs. Uh, uh, effect yeah. uh, at every uh, closure uh, conference, and we have a bit less that. And I think there is some talk about closure popularity slowing down. I don't think it's yeah. really true in the end. And um, mm. yeah, I think uh, it's good that you're doing this podcast, and uh, I hope more people uh, like push the envelope and uh, show them what they're doing, and so yeah. that popularity keeps uh, growing. And yeah, we well, we're. More of this. I was going to say it would be very welcome for people to talk to us on on Slack or on Twitter, you know, yeah. to, you know, because we, we have a kind of uh, process for getting people onto the show and often it's just, 
MioVJ, liking the look of people or liking the look of repositories and hunting around for people. And that's, you know, that's mm -hmm. fine. It's it's all working out quite well. But definitely shout out to, to to the gang out there. You know, if you want to talk about a project on, on um, what's this called again? It's called Defin, yeah. <laughs> if you want to <laughs> talk to somebody about Undefin, <laughs> then, you know, we're, 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 quite, we're quite welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is this is how we want this uh, podcast to be. You know, and not not only just people who are um, who who are um, already in the conference or cute and doing their their bit to encourage closure usage usage, but also we would like to talk to people who are every day getting things done with closure and then how yeah. what kind of challenges that they're facing and what kind of uh, advantages that they have compared to the other um, other other development teams and how happy they are. There's the whole idea right yeah, yeah. like and and of course as, as rich was mentioning i think it was like it was for the boring people you know closure is for boring people <laughs> who want to get get shit done so that that, that makes more that makes more sense yeah but yeah, that's um more. that's exactly yeah. it okay so um i think we we can uh, conclude now uh, just just before we close off uh, we'd like to uh, first of all max thanks a lot for joining us oh, you're welcome um, thank and, you was a pleasure talking to you and um we hope that you know you're gonna use closure more and more and then you know grab more and more add keep adding zeros to your numbers uh, <laughs> both to you both to your uh, posts and also hopefully your company financials who knows <laughs> it was a pleasure being uh, being with you thanks yeah it was, it was really really fun and um uh obviously i mean we, we just want to uh, thank um the people who are already supporting us um on on patreon um, there, there were there is already six patrons for us, and we are extremely happy to have your support. And I've already ordered my Tesla with your money, um, and, and I'm going to send it to Mars uh, right after Elon Musk sends. Uh... <laughs> no, we we're going to order a Tesla and then put send it to Mars, right? That's the idea. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what that's Elon Musk is doing yeah, now. Yeah. So all but, the cars uh, are good for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But but all the jokes aside, I mean we we very much appreciate your um, uh, your support, your patronage, and um, please keep checking your private feed because I'm sending some messages to you folks and the people who are not uh, on Patreon. Patreon, this is a slight nudge to you that you know you might get more information if you if you become a patron for us. Um, and of course the the usual credits. Um, this is me uh, uh, from Holland and. Ray would do the honor for uh, our rest of the crew. Okay, from Belgium, yeah. Um, well, we got the music <laughs> from Pizzeri, and he's got the famous melon hamburger coming at you right now, I imagine. And uh, <laughs> and we have uh, Wouter doing the, the sound editing for us. Uh, and just a small final word, by the way, we're all going to be doing a Defen road trip to um, Closured in Germany in February. Um, yeah, and so that's going to be really good. Uh, if anyone is going to go to Closure D, if you can hit us up between now and then, um, that would be really excellent. Um, so you know, myself, uh, VJ, and Wouter, we're all going to go, and uh, we'll be there in, in force, and hope to see you there. Yeah, and most probably, not most probably. Uh, well, okay, I mean, we'll 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 probably try to record something there. Definitely. Or, um, yeah. 
in in the worst case if we are uh, going by car which i don't we will be but uh, then we'll start recording in the car and then annoying people <laughs> <laughs> ray is already like there is no way there's no way i'm driving to berlin <laughs> no way <laughs> <laughs> but but of course i mean if you're uh, popping by um, closed in in germany uh, hit us up and we would love to talk to you and then uh, and we know that our biggest fan base is in germany so exactly that's uh, this is like uh, we're going to be autographing everywhere on the streets and <laughs> so we are superstars in germany apparently <laughs> okay uh, that's it from us for today and um, we will come back to you with another episode soon uh and we wish you good luck with advent of code if you are participating in it yeah keep writing closure and again thanks a lot to max for joining us from uh, sweden and good luck with your closure stuff bye 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 Sorry. <laughs> I'm allergic to Linux.